This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 28th of April 2021. And we've talked a lot on this podcast, Norman, about variants of coronavirus and it's all a bit scary because maybe they're not covered by our pre-existing immunity if we've had COVID before or they're not covered by the vaccinations. That's something that's evolving. But the other thing that's evolving is our understanding of them. And there's some new research that shows that perhaps some of the, the mutations that we're seeing in the new variants commonly might make them more contagious, but they also might not be as deadly as the original Wuhan strain. Well, that's particularly in relation, that's right. So it's particularly in relation to the B117 variant, which is, you know, if you're a part of the Cognoscenti, and everybody listening to Coronacast is part of the Cognoscenti. I don't even know what that word means. It just means we're... Smart people. We're the it people. Not me, not you and I, but the people listening to us are the it people. <laughs> so the B117 variant, if you're one of the it people, it's now called the Kent variant. So not the UK variant, but the Kent variant. Anyway, an interesting study of samples collected from November last year through to the end of December from about 500 people. So they were looking at people admitted to hospital between November 2020, that's last year, and December, the end of December who had obviously severe disease, severe enough to be admitted to to hospital. So about 500 people, and some had uh, the B117, the Kent variant of the COVID virus, and uh, some had other variants, which were not B117. And interestingly, they did not find an association between severe disease and death. In other words, you were no more likely to die, which has been the allegation made of the B117, if you had that versus a variant that wasn't B117. So that's really good news. So if, if this plays out, I mean, it's not a huge number of people, but at least it's some, it counters the prevailing belief coming out of the UK that it is a more virulent virus. The interesting thing also in this study is that there was a bigger viral load in people with B117. So they had more virus on board. And by the way, If you go right back to the beginning of the story with COVID-19 and viruses and spread, viral load is actually very important in terms of transmissibility. And the more virus you've got on board, the more likely you are to get severe disease. So what this study doesn't tell you is if you're infected with B117, are you more likely to get into hospital? What this study tells you is if you're in hospital with severe disease, you're no more likely to die compared to somebody who doesn't have that variant. But it still could mean that you're more likely to end up in hospital with the B117. And this viral load issue could explain a couple of things. In other words, that it multiplies more in your body, more likely to cause severe disease because of that, and also more likely to be transmissible. So it's an interesting paper which starts to explain some of the things we're seeing with the B117 and its rapid spread around the world. Yeah, and it vibes with another paper that also came out in the last a little while about other people in the U- the US who had, um, well, then it wasn't the B117 variant, but it was variants with this particular mutation, which is also present in B117, and also found that they were less likely to die. It's interesting, and it really kind of goes along with what we know from biology and history about previous pandemics and viruses, that in time they often uh, evolve to be less virulent. They do. They get used to us and we get used to them. And it's in the virus's interest that it doesn't kill us because if it doesn't kill us, it, it, it gets spread. Um, it's, it's not easy to spread from a dead person. The less deadly it is, the better for the virus. 
And it takes a while for the for evolution to sort that out. So then what is the implication going forward? Because we're working really, really hard to keep borders closed and to vaccinate people. And if the virus is getting gentler on its own, do we really need to be doing all of this? It is more likely to spread. It would be at least as likely to cause severe disease as non-variants. So therefore, if more people get it, more people are going to end up in hospital. And it's still possible that you're more likely to end up in hospital with a B117 because that study does not illuminate that particular statistic. So that's why you've got to be careful. And what you're seeing is this virus is elbowing out other viruses because of its contagiousness. So just to clarify here, to flip my statement, what I said a moment ago is it's no more likely to kill you if you're in hospital, but it's equally likely to kill you. So it's not as if it's a safer form of the virus. It's just not more dangerous. And the previous virus was dangerous enough, you know, anywhere up to 10 times more likely to kill you than the than seasonal flu. And that hasn't changed. And you just have to look at the numbers in India at the moment where at least 3,000 people are dying a day. But it's probably 10 times that amount because of the underreporting. It's 30,000 people a day. It's just extraordinary. So speaking of the virus and its perhaps uh, and its evolution, we've got some questions on this topic today. And one from Michelle is that she's curious whether the 14 days is still the right incubation period. We've seen the Perth lockdown affected due to patient zero testing positive after the 14-day incubation period. Um, should we be revising that number? Well, maybe not the quarantine. So I know we had a question the other day questioning a comment that I made a while ago that the incubation period of some of these mutated viruses is longer. And that was an indication suggested early on when these new variants emerged that there was a signal that that was happening. And I don't think it's panned out that uh, the incubation period is that much longer. But what does happen in a hotel quarantine is the spread can happen from another room at any time while you're in quarantine. So you might be negative when you go in, but you catch the virus maybe on day seven, you incubate and you're only beginning to become positive at day 14. So that's the problem, is that if you're brewing the virus on your way into quarantine, 14 days is mostly enough. There's still maybe 1% or 2% of people who might escape that, but that hasn't actually panned out when you look at the statistics. But in this case, if you are likely to catch it in quarantine, not necessarily keep you in quarantine, but you probably need maybe a 16-day or 17-day swab to make sure that you're clear and maybe restrict your movements after you get out of hotel quarantine until that 16 or 17 day swab is clear. That's the problem with hotel quarantine is that you may get it while you're in. And of course, we're continuing to get questions from people who are interested in the risk of those rare blood clots from the AstraZeneca vaccine. And Stephen says, you've mentioned that 50 years is the line where the risk of blood clotting lowers. Is relative youth a proven causal link for the blood clotting problem or could it be a correlation? Stephen's basically asking, what if it's caused by something that's more common in younger people than older people, for example, an active lifestyle, something which may put Stephen as an active 52-year-old at higher risk? Look, it's a correlation, not cause and effect. Absolutely. It's um, being young does not cause this condition, but being young increases your risk of it for some reason. And nobody really knows what that risk is. They've looked for clotting problems. They've looked for an increased incidence of autoimmune disease. It is also more common in women than men and younger women than younger men. And the assumption is this is to do with the immune system in younger people being healthier more, if you like, vibrant and more likely to respond in an autoimmune kind of way. 
and women are known to be more at risk of autoimmune disease. It's not entirely known why. It could be hormonal affecting the immune system. It could be much more fundamentally genetic. We don't know the reason. So it's a mystery, but it is, quite correctly, a correlation, not cause and effect. And yes, it could be something to do with lifestyle. But, you know, um, the data on lifestyle is that people's activity does decline, particularly women's activity does decline through the years. And drops off quite precipitously after teenage years. So I wish we were more active than we actually are. And on that, Marilla's asking, is the 50-year-old cutoff an immune phenomenon related to menopause status, i.e. are women post-menopause at lower risk of clotting? Look, there are lots of things that happen around the time of the menopause. Some are mythology, like you suddenly increase your risk of heart disease. That's not true. It's a steady increase as you age. But there are other things that happen around menopause with the change in estrogen levels to do with uh, the way your brain works, mental health issues, other phenomena, and it could be immune phenomena as well. Some of the women who are getting this are much younger than you would expect for them to get menopause, and I've not seen any data on menopause. It's possible, but uh, yet to be elucidated. And speaking of women's reproductive systems, Oscar and Maeve, his 20-month-old daughter, have have been listening to Coronacast every morning and Jade, uh, Maeve's mum, is pregnant and due this month. What's the current advice for her regarding vaccination? Well, congrat- congratulations. We, you know, Tegan and I take no credit for the pregnancy, but, you know, it's great news. <laughs> and, and I'm surprised you've had time given all this time that you've been listening to Coronacast, but look, well done. <laughs> only 10 minutes a day Norman the podcast I mean it lasts you know it lasts for 24 hours before the next one comes in (laughs) seriously though um, there's good news coming in about the Pfizer vaccine particularly from the United States that um, the Pfizer vaccine at least is safe in pregnancy I I haven't seen good data on the Astra vaccine It's, it's likely that one will be safe too but we don't know for sure so the Pfizer one is emerging is really quite safe in pregnancy it'll be interesting to see whether the TGA accepts the data on pregnancy from the reports that are coming out but i think some studies are starting to will start to emerge as well and that's all we've got time for today if you want to ask a question go to abc.net.au slash coronacast click on ask a question and mention coronacast on the way through makes it easiest for us to find it and we'll see you tomorrow see you then